Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Inside the Five. It's Will. It's Stav. And it's Chris. And in this episode, we got a little NFL news, some NBA playoff action, and some Red Sox. What do we say? Let's do it. Let's go. Ryan, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back. Um, we're going to get right into things here, not starting with the NBA playoffs because there is some big news out of the NFL, and that is the fact that Debo Samuel has requested a trade away from the 49ers. I guess we'll get things started with a question here, Stav. Do we think a deal will be done before the draft come next week? I think it's going to be – well, if I had to make a prediction, I think it's going to happen during the draft. I think the 49ers will get uh, a little anxious. And they're going to see a player maybe that slides that could fit in perfectly. And they're like, we could trade Debo. We can move up in the draft and select this player. I think that's a very likely outcome. And a spot that I'm really looking at is that Texans pick. You know, the Texans have a higher draft uh, position, I think, from the Browns. And I, I don't know why. Right when I heard this news, the first team that came to my mind was the Texans. I think the Texans could definitely use him, especially to draw in like their the attention of their fans, and that's a perfect player to kind of regain the trust of your fan base after some questionable moves in the past. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's a good place for a trade. If the 49ers were a trade, it would be the Texans. I feel like if they do trade him, I feel like it would be after the draft, though. I feel like it would be too difficult to make a move for Debo, not necessarily trying to get something for him, but the right fit and what they could get in return. I feel like the Texans might not be willing to give up a pick, even though it is Debo. I feel like they're just willing. I think I feel like they're just going to buy into the rebuild. Right. And, and what I've been thinking about for, for someone like Debo Samuel is with a team that's not as much of a contender really still want him. And you brought up the Texans. Texans would make a lot of sense because they honestly don't have anything down there. Um, and, and a few teams that I've heard of, potentially the Dolphins. Um, I heard a little bit about the Chiefs, and then I kind of came up with the Pats. I feel like it could be a good fit. But I think that adding someone like a Debo Samuel to that Dolphins offense makes them – instant AFC East contenders up there with the Bills and potentially the Patriots. I think that imagine a wide receiver room that includes Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddle, and Debo Samuel. Now, those are three guys who 
can do literally everything on a football field when it comes to having the ball in their hands. It would just be very exciting. So that that was a team that I heard today on ESPN um, that could potentially use their first round pick on them. And that's what leads me to believe I'm going to be the third and final guy to say, I think that a deal gets done before the draft. So we all have different, we all have different picks. I think that you might go before the draft um, to a team that's looking for a wide out, knows that it's a stacked wide out class, but they know how good uh, Debo Samuel is. They know what they're going to get from him. Uh, the NFL draft is coming up next weekend. I believe it starts on Thursday. I think that's when it starts. It's either mm-hmm. Thursday or Friday. Um, so we're kind of getting down to it. I think we'll talk a little bit more about the NFL draft come next week on our Tuesday episode. Uh, but let's kick right into the NBA playoffs. We're going to talk about Tuesday night's games, um, all that action. We're recording this on Wednesday. Getting things started off, the Heat take a 2-0 series lead over the Bucks. They beat that – or not over the Bucks, over the Hawks. They beat them 115-105. to Jimmy Butler drops 45. Will, the Heat have been getting a lot of uh, a lot of flack kind of saying that they're the worst one seed in NBA history. There's been a lot of talks of that. Do you think the Heat have what it takes? I mean, they're beating up this Hawks team. Do you think they can continue that and, and maybe make a finals run? I think it's a little unfair to say that they're the worst number one seed, but at the same time, like – it is the Hawks. They are the one seed. Like, we should expect the one seed to dominate. Like, I feel like early on, I feel like if we see an upset of the one seed, like, it, I just don't see that happening. I don't think they will go all the way, though. I think Eastern Conference Finals is where they fall. Um, Kind of rebounding off of what you said, Will, I agree to the fullest extent. I think that they should be doing what they are doing. And I feel like the Heat did feel the best punch that the Hawks had to throw. Um, the Hawks were up for a lot of that, not for a lot of that game, but they were they were right in it until the very end. And then Jimmy Butler's stats, he had, what, 45 points, which we, he was hitting his threes, which we usually don't see. And a real question that I am going to ask you guys is, what's why didn't Duncan Robinson play, like, over six minutes? Like, game one, he had 29 points, and he was near perfect from the field. And then come game two, he played six minutes and didn't even take one shot. So I, don't, I it, the Heat confused me in that way, where I feel like they don't allow certain guys to get in a certain rhythm. And that could eventually be catastrophic for them, especially come next round against a hypothetical, uh, very strong and hot 76ers team. I think that you could look at that in two different ways. Um, one way is the way that you brought up there. I mean, Duncan Robinson, you're right. He had a fantastic game one, only missed one three-pointer in, in game one. In this game, didn't even take a shot. I think he only had two rebounds and a couple of fouls. That was about it. Um, and it's like they're guys that have the hot hand. They're not letting them continue that. Or could you just say any person on this Miami Heat team is liable to drop 30? Because we saw – they didn't need Duncan Robinson in this game because they had Jimmy Butler do literally everything on the court. So I'm not sure if this is going to help them or hurt them, but Duncan Robinson is a fantastic player. I think he should be getting more than seven minutes. It's just kind of going to prove the Miami Heat's versatility when it comes to their lineups. Um, they wanted to play a lot of defense in here. Um, 
and they got the hot hand from Jimmy Buckets, who doesn't score points like this very often. He's good for like 20, 25, not 45, in my opinion. So this this was a great game from Jimmy Butler. And when he's hot, the whole team is hot. It doesn't matter how many points you score. Um, they play great defense. They get up and down the court, and they proved it in this game. And I think they're going to sweep their way through the Hawks. I think they're going to have – Maybe a five, six uh, game series in the next round, and I'm going to end up agreeing with all you guys. I think their ceiling is going to be the Eastern Conference Finals, but this Miami Heat team is very, very good. They are really good, and I don't know why Duncan Robinson only played, where did we say, five minutes or four minutes? I think it was six. Or six minutes? Six. Or, it was six or seven, yeah. It was six minutes. Um, I mean, at the same, like, I guess I agree with you, Griff, where, like, the different game plans. I feel like Spolstra has, he's really smart. He has different game plans. I feel like you need to take each game like as its own in the NBA playoffs. I feel like that's really important for like longevity and to make runs. So like obviously having Duncan Robinson there to come off the bench and if they needed him, but like after the first game, like he should be playing more. Like you, there's no guarantees. I mean, it would just, it would just make sense. Yeah, Another yeah. fun fact that's, I mean, me being cousins and friends with a bunch of Heat fans, I always see these random stats. Ever since the Heat start, have made that decision to move Duncan to the bench and start Max Struess, they're 15-2, and two, which is a very interesting stat because they're paying Duncan Robinson a lot of money. And Max Struess is a guy who we saw as Celtics fans really did nothing. He was in the G League and he got cut and no one really thought anything of it. And now he's a starter on a one seed. And it's – I mean, it's not a coincidence that a guy, when you get moved at the starting lineup and you go 15-2 and two as an NBA team, like, that's not a coincidence. He has something to do with it. I think he brings a lot of energy and defensive pressure to that team and an ability to do a little bit more than Duncan Robinson offensively. Like, I don't want to say a lot more, but a lot more variation because I trust Max Struess a little bit more to kind of drive into the paint and create his own shots compared to Duncan Robinson, who's more of a spot-up shooter. So – that's an interesting little tweak to this lineup that we should pay attention to going forward, especially as the playoffs develop. And if the Heat can make a run, maybe the Max Struess is to thank for that. I mean, it's it's kind of funny because you're right. We had him on the team, um, send him down to the G League and then cut him. I think this is one of those cases where he just found his home. I don't think that the Celtics really could have done anything different uh, with Struss, But, I mean, he dropped 14 in game two in a win and he's – a starter, like you said, been very successful. The Heat, definitely a solid team. Uh, we'll move on to our next game. We got the Grizzlies against the T-Wolves, an interesting st- series me and Stop talked about on the last episode. Uh, the Grizzlies finally found their way back. Jaw dropped 23 with 10 assists. And I think the biggest part of this win for the Grizzlies was their bench. In my opinion, they have one of the best benches in the league, if not the best bench in the league. And they really showed up today or last night at the time of this recording, and, and, and they came through. I think this is um, kind of a coming-out party for this Grizzlies team. They got a little bit comfortable. They got game one off their shoulders, and this is a big win for them. They're tied at 1-1. Will, where do you think the series goes from here? I feel like it's still up in the air as before. I know they took game one. I know, like, that happened, but I feel like we can't, um, like, not we can't overlook that they took game one here. Like, they're still a team that's very, very good, very talented. I feel like the T-Wolves can still find themselves in this series, and I feel like this could end up being, like, a six-game series. 
Um, that's a good point, and I, I can't say I disagree. I mean, I think the Grizzlies are a much better team. Like the bench included, I'm talking about. Like they're a much more deep team. Their star power is a, I want to say equal to be honest, because on the Timberwolves side you have Cat and Anthony Edwards, obviously, and then the major name that sticks out for the Grizzlies is John Morant, who's an unbelievable talent, and the um. The Grizzlies prove that they can win without him, which I, which makes me think that they are a better team and they are two seed for a reason and it's the second best team record wise in the NBA. So I think this game goes, it's either going to be a gentleman's sweep or six in the Grizzlies' favor. I think that loss game one really did wake them up and kind of lit a fire under them to be like, all right, this is the playoffs. We can't take any games off. Like, especially Ja. I think Ja took a very personal, I mean, granted his quotes after game two where he's like, if you switched up on a stay on that side, I think he's taken all of the narratives about him personally. Like, how the Grizzlies are better without him, how they're not an actual two-seat and all that. I think he has been motivational to this team, and they just whooped the Timberwolves last night, or uh, Tuesday night. So I, I think this is going to be a five, six-game series at most. Right, and, and, and we talked about the um, Grizzlies bench um, but I don't want to play down to that Timberwolves bench, too. Th- these are two of the deepest teams in the NBA. Uh, when you have people like Tar Taryn Prince, uh, Josh Okogie, Nazir Reed, Malik Beasley coming off your bench, then you have a pretty solid bench. Both these teams play deep. Uh, they play a lot of names out there. Um, and I think it's going to continue to be a great series. I-, I like it around that six mark as well. Um, I don't think it could stretch out to seven. I think the Grizzlies are also going to take it. You can't forget this is a two versus a seven seed. But, I mean, you're right. It's two great teams. The Timberwolves aren't a true seven seed. Um, and they're going to fight every single game. And I think the Grizzlies just have have it over them in this case. I think that just overall as a team, the Grizzlies are going to come through, win this in five, six, seven games. Or not seven games, five or six games. Um, we'll move on to the last game on Tuesday night before we talk a little bit about the Sox. Um, the Pelicans take a game from the Suns um, in Phoenix, a huge game where Brandon Ingram drops 37 points, nine rebounds, nine assists. Stav, I'll ask you a question. Do the Pelicans have a chance? Do they have any chance? Scott Foster refs every single game. I mean, D-Book being out really does hurt them because D-Book's a generational talent. You know, he's the best player on the Suns. However, I don't think that that's going to kill them in this series. I think the Pelicans take one more game maybe, but the veteran leadership of Chris Paul really does propel this team. Macau Bridges is still there, probably the second best defending guard in the league. Uh, DeAndre Ayton is still going to be putting up 20 if Chris Paul is there. I mean... Cam Johnson, so they're still a very deep team. The only way that the Pelicans have a shot at this one of the biggest upsets in NBA history is if Brandon Ingram does this every night and CJ McCollum drops 10 more points than what he did last night every single game. Like those two have to play like NBA superstars. They can't play like they're really good players. I don't want to take anything away from them, but they got to elevate their game like up here compared to where they are like right now. So I think the Suns win this in six. And I give the Pelicans one more win at max, even with Devin Booker in or out. Right. And I think that uh, D-Book being out games three and four, it kind of throws a little cover on this series where it's like, 
if they could sneak these games out and, I mean, win both of them with D-Book, that's the only chance that they can win this series. Um, I don't think that they're actually going to do that. I don't think they're going to win any more games in this series. I think this locks it up in five. I think that um, a lot of people are are sleeping on the fact that Chris Paul is here, great veteran presence, and, and he's a guy that can go out and give you 30 points in the playoffs when he needs to. And, and DeAndre Ayton, I think this is a big series for him to finish up on Jonas Valanciunas and, and, and put them to bed. Now, before I just absolutely demolish the Pelicans, I do want to say that C.J. McCollum ha- has been great throughout the first two games. And not only for like his, his play, but just the veteran leadership and the playoff experience that he brings to this Pelicans team, I feel like is giving them a lot more confidence than they actually should have. And, and C.J. with 23, um, 8 and 9, um, on Tuesday night, he, he's really putting it together. I'm a big fan of C.J. McCollum, and, and I'm kind of glad to see him doing that, and I'm glad to see the Pelicans taking the next steps, and hopefully they're going to be a playoff team for years to come. Yeah, no, yeah I, I mean – oh, yeah, we'll continue. I, I agree. I don't really think much changes in this series. I just want to say I feel like we shouldn't be surprised if something does happen and the Pelicans do end up making a little run here. But I feel like that's just going to be way too tough to really actually happen. But, I mean, it is the playoffs. It is Brandon Ingram and C.J. McCollum. It, it could happen. And, and yeah, we're they're... forgetting that this team doesn't even have Zion. Um, so who knows what kind of shape that guy is in. But if he's in any type of shape, he, he's a guy that's going to give you 20 points at least a game in a regular season and potentially more in the postseason. I think that the Pelicans are a team that's like in the Western Conference, they're going to be fighting for a five or a six, uh, fighting for a spot in the actual playoff, one through six. Uh, next year, maybe the year after that. And then who knows if Zion can really step into that role. I think we might see a couple of runs from the Pelicans within five years. I don't know. I'm going to call it out. I'm, I've am i never been a believer in Zion, but I'm a believer in Brandon Ingram, and I think C.J. McCollum is, is the lip guy, like how we had Kemba, where he's a couple of years that they're going to uh, trust him to drop 25-30 and bounce in the first round of the playoffs until Zion's ready to step up. That's what I'm going to call that out ahead of time. Well, they're trending in a great direction. It's the same thing with the Timberwolves. Like, they have a very strong young core. Like, Zion Williamson, eventually, Brandon Ingram, those are two corner pieces to your franchise. Like, let's not forget, they also have Devontae Graham coming off the bench, who's a great player. And, like, the emergence of Jose Alvarado, who is just an energy guy. This guy is always trying – like, he's always doing his best. You know what I mean? He's one of those guys who will never let you down on the effort level. And these are all guys that, like – if I'm so, like if I'm a emerging star, I'm like, damn, I want to play for the Pelicans. Like this team, everyone, like the cohesion around the scene, like Jackson Hayes, he's a pretty good player. Like no one realizes how good he actually is defensively. Like I wouldn't be surprised if his name's up there in the defensive player of the year conversation in the next three, four years. Like he's fast, athletic, and a guy who can defend like three through five, which you usually don't see out of like starting centers nowadays. Right. I've I've been a big Jackson Hayes guys um since he was in college. I really wanted to seize to grab him. And I thought when the Pelicans got him, I was like, this guy is a starting five potential guy. 
I, and I'm glad to see that he's kind of filling into that role. I think that he is certainly has the potential to be a, a starting center in this league, uh, no matter where it is. But if it's with the Pelicans and Brandon Ingram and Zion come through, I think he's a guy that will be good for playoff runs. Like, I, I really think that he is a, a do-it-all center. He's very athletic. He can jump out of the gym. He's fun to watch. I mean, if, if you watch him play basketball, you enjoy it. He's one of those centers that just flies all around the court and he makes plays on defense, and he jumps out of the gym, catches oops. He's fun to watch. He's kind of like a Rob Will, a little bit taller, a little bit less defensively, though. Um, um, but we'll move on to the Red Sox. Um, I mean, we've only played one game since our last recording, but it was a big win against Toronto. Um, and our hero, Connor Wong. Connor Wong, uh, with the team dealing with, with, with some COVID issues of Ploiecki, Vasquez, we're calling up our guy from Worcester, Connor Wong, absolute hero. He's the reason we won two one. My starting catcher, Stav, you sent the you sent the text into our group chat yesterday. You're like, this is our dream lineup, and Connor Wong was batting eight. Uh, do you want to maybe say something about that? <laughs> um, after what we saw. I mean, I guess I am a little biased against him after what we saw last year. I feel like he bat, like he played, a, I want to say around 10, 15 games for the Red Sox last year and batted, what, 0. .050 or something. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. he's not an everyday guy, but it's always awesome to see guys who get called up and win the game for you. <laughs> Essentially, yes. it, after a 2-1 to one win against a division rival and who a lot of people are just putting in the World Series already out of the AL, it's good to get this win. You know, you have Nate Evaldi on the mound who is used to pitching to Kevin Ploiecki, right? Yeah. And Ploiecki has COVID, and Vasquez also has COVID. So those are your two starting catchers who are just out. So there's a lot of chemistry that goes into games like this. And for Connor Wong to step in and work with all of the pitchers perfectly, you know, we only allow one run to the best offense in the league, especially in the AL. So – I hope this momentum can kind of carry through and I hope the offense can pick it up a little bit more too. You know, only scoring two runs against the Blue Jays isn't going to win you every game in that series. That team's that team's capable of scoring 10 runs a game. So, Will, you were there. What were your reactions out of uh, Connor Wong and the Boston Red Sox? I mean, yesterday I saw Connor Wong in the lineup and I was like very disappointed. One, I saw both of our catchers have COVID and I was like so mad to begin with. I was like, why is he playing for us? Like, Ronaldo Hernandez is better. Like, so much better. But, I mean, I'll, I'll take it after last night. Like, it like it, it was nice to see it work. Um, we definitely can't score two runs against the Blue Jays and expect to win all the time. We did get very lucky. It was very cold last night, which was a very big surprise. A lot of that, I don't think it was expected to be that cold. It dropped, like, 10 degrees lower after like an hour into the game, it was like kind of crazy. Um, what else? Bobachet surprisingly with a lot of errors last night. He had a few yes. plays at shortstop and then just threw them away, which caught me by very good surprise. I was like that. Like that's pretty much what led us back into this game. Yeah, and, and, I, and I like him. Go for it. Yeah. Um, an unsung hero of the game is Trevor Story. You know, Griff and I. I mean, actually, all of us. We were talking about possibilities where Trevor Story bats second in the lineup. We couldn't really think of any when there was an obvious choice right in front of us. You say Kikuchi, one of the only lefties in the AL East who 
Story steps in, has an RBI double, which ties the game at the time. And he, he was hitting the ball pretty hard last night. You know, he had half of the runs driven in. I hope we can see him continue this momentum, although he is batting six tonight against Berrios. I want to see Story starting to ease into this lineup a little more. I don't want to say I'm getting impatient, but, like, this is what I've expected out of Story. Like, doubles, him to absolutely nail the monster, go down the left field line, be a pull hitter. And I'm happy to see him step up in that two spot and succeed. Right. And I th- I think that he can succeed at the two spot no matter who's pitching. And that that's kind of what you were starting to get into is the fact that moving him down – to six against righties and up to two against lefties is kind of just being like, okay, you're our six. Cause we don't see lefties all that often. And you say Kikuchi, I think is one of what, like two or three that will face in the, in the AL East. Um, so come the long run, I think that we got to commit to him. I, I, I think that we got to show story why we paid him all this money. Um, it, and I know Cora loves, loves the advanced analytics and to be honest i do too i don't know anything about them but we win baseball games because of it according to my manager and i trust my manager but i think i like why not give him a shot batting second see what he does we haven't even we literally haven't even tried we haven't we haven't tried at all and it's the beginning of the season i like to see a lot of trials happen during the beginning of the season i want to see us switch up the lineup a little bit more but it's good to get a win in game one uh now on Wednesday, uh, we have Pavetta lined up against Berrios. On Thursday, we have Hauk against Gosman. Um, so to finish up this series, Will, um, are we going to win this series? You know, we're already up 1-0, but we have some tough pitching matchups. I expect the bats to be rolling for the Blue Jays tonight. I, like, after last night, I mean, we did have Volpe play. He pitched really well. He only let up one home run, the only run that they let up all game, which, in my opinion, I got there right when it happened. I saw it happen. And um, I was just like, how does this happen so early? I was like, I like walked in the stadium. And I was like, what the hell? And then, but no, I expect the bats to be rolling for the Jays tonight. And like you said earlier, we don't sign Trevor Story to have him bat in two different places every other night. Like either have him as our sixth and be the anchor or have him at two and see how he rolls. Like we have to pick one. I get the analytics part of it, but. But then it back. might to- sound one really quickly. I think we do take tonight again. This might sound like the stupidest thing I could ever say, but Nick Pavetta is a cold weather pitcher. When it's warm, his stuff hangs. Like he loves to let up home runs, especially in warm environments tonight. It's going to be, it's going to feel like it's 40, 45 degrees. That benefits Nick Pavetta. You know, you got to look at last night. It was like, well said, it's cold. Like it's April. It's the end of April and it's cold. Vlad Guerrero does not like playing in the cold, and it's obvious. Like, he was mm, he so frustrated not. last night. I've never seen him show so, uh, show so much emotion, like, especially after going. Like, no, I mean, when you go up against Hansel Robles, you know, it's which tough. we'll get to the best pitcher like, in May, at least. Vlad looked like he wanted no- nothing to do with the Red Sox. Like, he wanted nothing to do with that game last night. Like, he was so bundled up. He was probably wearing 10 layers. Like, it, I don't think, like, the Blue Jays lineup is geared for colder weather. Like that might sound stupid because they're in Canada, but they're an indoor team. First off, I mean, this isn't really a problem that you'll face outside of, I mean, the most important months in October and stuff, but like, I don't know. It's something to look 
is something to be interested in. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Nick Pavetta strikeouts and the Nick Pavetta um, innings, the overs hit tonight, especially if it's going to be colder around first pitch. Wow. That's actually all. That's actually all you had to tell me. Um, I'm. I'll put it in right after we're done recording. I will bet on that tonight, just because Stop said it, and that means if Stop said it, if it's wrong, then it's all Stop's fault. So that's the exact reason why that's- you talk me into it. If you're wrong, <laughs> you owe me all the money that I bet. So I'm gonna put a little extra on it too. Um, no, but I'm kidding. I I really well, think hold that. Hold on. Hold on to that. What if you win? I'm not texting you. you. I'm not texting you. Like, I don't know. Like, well, I'll just, like, I'll just, I don't know. I'm watching, I'm also watching the Celtics. If the Celtics win, you can have some money. If the Celtics win as well, you can have some money. Which means, this is the perfect time to transition before we get off this episode. The Celtics, quick prediction. On Wednesday, we're recording this. You guys will already hear all of our predictions I need a final score prediction. I will get us started. Game two, Nets at Celtics, 7 o'clock at the TD Garden. The final score is going to be 104 to 101 in favor of the Boston Celtics. That's my final score prediction. Um, I hope I gave you guys enough time to think about a quick score. Uh, I guess Stav will get it started with you. 112-98 Celtics. I think that Kyrie Irving comes out terrible. I think he's in his own head right now because I I think KD exceeds. I think KD has a really good game. I think he's going to score over 30 points. I just don't see Kyrie going back-to-back games AWOL. So I think everything clicks for the Celtics. I think Jalen Brown kicks in a little bit more. Like, is how we expect him to play. I think the bench plays a little bit better. I think we see a little bit more out of White and Pritchard. And I think Mark Smart has a little bit more of a chip on his shoulder because a lot of people are saying that he didn't deserve Defensive Player of the Year. So he's going to be matched up with Kyrie all night, and that's a matchup. That does not benefit the Nets. Right before you said 112.98, Stav, in my head, I said 113.98. I'm still going <laughs> to stick with it because that's oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't want to leave it. I don't want to change it up. Um, but no, I can't agree anymore with you. I really thought Kyrie was just going to come out flat. They were going to have a flat night. Celtics going to be on a roll. And they're going to go back to Brooklyn and take care of the series. I feel I feel like in the past couple of weeks, I've been not believing in my team enough because I like I feel like all my takes about my teams is me trying to be modest. So so now that I'm hearing you guys saying it's going to be a blowout, I'm, I'm it's very easy to talk me into things today. But well, I'm going to stick with my score. I already threw it up. It's a good blowout slate game to have, though. That is a blowout slate game. Well, that is a blowout slate. Because it's, it's, like it's the home team. Yeah. Uh, it's right. like They're... you can't – like, how do I want to phrase this? The Celtics are the two seed for a reason, and the Nets are where they are for a reason. I feel like that's being overlooked a lot. Obviously, the Nets are talented with their top two guys. But when this, as NBA playoff series progress, you see the bench be exposed a lot more. So tonight is a perfect night where if Kyrie – I'm sorry, when Kyrie isn't hitting his shots and when KD is, they're going to need that another guy to step up. Dragic isn't going to do it back-to-back games. Like, Seth Curry was non-existent in the second half of the other game. Like, good luck. That's all I have to say. Like, the Celtics have guys, multiple guys who can step up. The Nets have three at most. That's very true. It's very true. 
good way of putting it. Um, I think that's going to wrap up this episode. A quick one, unless anybody else has anything. I think that's a good ending. We all good? With my hot takes. Yep. All right. Well, that's going to send us off. We hope you guys enjoyed. Have a good weekend. We will see you guys next Tuesday before the draft. And peace. 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 I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.